Um, okay, so the topic I want to speak to you on today is on fruitfulness, okay? So it's on fruitfulness, and um, I think one thing that I do want to encourage is for you guys to take notes on your phone, on your notebook, or something, because I really believe that today a key foundational message is going to go out, okay? Whether you have been here in Emmaus for like, I don't know, for a long time and you're a four-year student or whatever, or whether you, this is your first time here, like the word that I feel like God is giving me today, it like, seriously, I couldn't even go to sleep. Uh, I think last week I was asking God, God, I'm going to preach on Tuesday and I have no idea what to preach on. And I couldn't go to sleep because all I felt was like a download of like, I literally felt this, like an outline, like into my brain. And then I had to just write on my phone. And that's how much I knew like, wow, this is probably what God wants to give. And um, again, I don't care if it's a powerful revelation, like if it isn't a powerful revelation or whatever, it, whatever it may be to you. But um, I really do believe that foundations need to be first set before any powerful revelation even goes out. Amen. And so uh, before I get into the main passage, uh, I want to touch up on a pre-passage. It's like a preface, if you will. It comes from Mark 11, 12 to 14. If you can throw that up. There we go. So I saw Pastor Marcus do this last week. It's so much better because if you don't have a Bible, you have a visual aid, right? And so uh, let's read that together on the count of three. One, two, three. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Amen. Okay, so just a little uh, context behind this passage. Jesus was, from far away, he saw a fig tree, and he saw that there were leaves there. So he was like, okay, like maybe there's some fruit, because he was really hungry. But he approaches, and he, as, he, as he's approaching and getting closer to the tree, he realizes that there's absolutely no fruit on it. Okay? And uh, a little metaphor that I want you guys to connect uh, right now today with this passage is that just like this fig tree, a lot of us appear to bear fruit in our lives, and we seem all fruitful on the outside, but really when people get closer to us, when God even gets closer to us, he, start, he starts to open up our hearts and realize that we're actually not bearing any fruit at all. And in fact, we might feel barren, we might feel dry, we might feel numb, and all these different places... But really, I believe that through this word, we should no longer care about the appearance of having fruit, but we should care about bearing fruit inside. Meaning, what does it look like in your prayer time? When, when nobody is looking at you, what does it look like? Or are you reading the word? Or are you, do you even have a relationship with God? Or is it all hinged upon Sundays and Tuesday nights and Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you have your familias, whenever those are? I think something that uh, Jesus was disappointed on was that it was all leaves but no fruit. Just as if we were all, like, talk but no commitment, right? And we're, like, all, you know, great on the outside, but there's really nothing on the inside. All promises but no follow-through, right? All talk but no action. And I feel like sometimes we go through this day in and day out in our lives. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is not interested in what you look like on the outside. He doesn't really care. When you go to heaven, when you die and go to heaven, he's not going to look at your accolades, your reputation, what you, what you like, were accomplished in life. No, he wants to know if you lived a life for him and him alone. And so just like this fig tree, okay, I kind of want to tie this to you. 
is this the kind of life that we are living as well? Like if God were to open up our hearts, is there fruit or is there not fruit? So how do exactly do we even bear fruit in our lives? And the answer is in John chapter 15. So if you guys can turn there, if you have your Bibles today, if not, it's up on the screen as well. Okay, just because it's up on the screen, please don't like forsake your Bibles, okay? Or just download a Bible app or something. Um, But it's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Um, Okay, I want to have you guys read the first two, and I will read the next two, okay? We'll keep going like that, okay? So verses 1 and 2, you guys go. 1, 2, 3, go. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you may bear, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you so much for this word that's going to go out, Lord. And God, I just pray for eyes to be open, for ears to be opened, for hearts to be open, God. And God, I just pray, would you use me as a channel for the exact word that you have for every student here at KU, Lord. And God, I just pray that not one heart goes away unchanged. Father, I thank you that you're going to encounter students today. The hearts will be awakened. So I command all distraction, all fatigue, all sickness to get out right now in the name of Jesus. And I declare and establish your kingdom here in this place. And I thank you, Lord, that wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom from any bondage. There's freedom from sin. There's freedom from heaviness. There's freedom from burdens, God. So, Father, I just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are here in this place. So, God, I pray that you show up powerfully, that you resonate deep into these students' hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of the sermon is Go On and Bear Fruit. Okay, I couldn't come up with a creative one. It's just Go On and Bear Fruit. And it comes from John 15, 1 through 8. That will be the passage that we... uh, you on today. Um, so a lot of the, uh, the, the, the question that I actually really want to ask you is, um, am I bearing fruit inside of me for the Lord, obviously? Okay. So am I bearing fruit inside of me? And if not, then how can I even bear fruit in the first place? Right. I'm calling you guys to be fruitful at this hour. And I'm saying that God wants us to live fruitful lives. But a lot of the times the problem is that we actually don't even know where to start. And so, you know, preachers will come through every Tuesday and like we can go to church and all of these things are expected of us and all these powerful revelations and promises that God has for us. But if we do not have a foundation that produces fruit for the Lord, then every revelation that comes through us, it'll just go right through us. You know what I'm saying? So we can't hold anything if we don't have a foundation and a base in our relationship with the Lord. So how can we bear fruit? Number one, okay, there are three ways to bear fruit in our relationship with the Lord, okay? Number one, it's go back to the past and find the bitter root. 
Say that to your neighbor. Go ahead. Verse 2 says that Jesus cuts off every branch in us that bears no fruit. And I'm here to tell you today that behind every unfruitful branch, there is an unfruitful root that God wants to cut off. Okay? The problem is that some of us can't even start a relationship with the Lord because we have a lot of bitter roots that are entangled inside of us. A lot of junk that is taking up the way. Whatever it is. And a lot of that actually comes from your past. A lot of it comes from trauma, comes from someone doing something wrong to you, whether it's your dad, your mom, a church, a church leader, um, even with God himself. If your qualm is with God himself, a lot of us deal with these problems and these hurts, and it actually stunts the growth in our walk with God. But we don't really realize it. And we kind of, you know, just go on in our day-to-day lives, and we're like, okay. And then all of a sudden we wake up and we're like, Oh, I guess I'm not even actually growing in my relationship with God. But the truth is that somewhere along the line in the past, whether it happened in your childhood, whether it happened five years ago, whether it happened last year, whether it happened yesterday or even today, if something has hurt you, if there has been something that's been getting in the, in the way between you and God, the chances are it could have been trauma. It could have been someone that offended you. It could have been an unforgiveness that you hold in your life. But that is the very bitter fruit that I believe that God is calling us to detect and to pull out today. Whatever the case, whatever, whatever it is that you're going through, there's always a root to everything. This is something that I actually really like. In ministry, being in Emmaus for like five years, there have been a lot of students that I met on campus where um, like they're, uh, they're dealing with certain issues and they don't realize that the actual issue is not the issue itself, but it's the root behind the issue. Right. And so if you're dealing with like, um, sometimes this happens, right? It's not all the time, but if you're dealing with a a problem between you and God and you think that God, uh, is a God that always hurts you and is out to get you, uh, this has happened before, but some students actually found that the real root was that their dad abused them and their dad was actually, uh, hurtful towards them. And that was actually the root behind that. Right. But too many times we're, we're spending a lot of time trying to whack at the branches and the things that are like not even really relevant to what is actually needing to be dealt with. And that's the root that we're talking about today. And so a lot of there are a lot of bitter roots, but also because of the roots, our hearts grow hard and cold with the Lord because of it. And really, guys, do you know how serious a hardened heart is? Like there is nothing so hard to get into than a hardened heart. Right. In Ephesians, it says that hardened hearts, people have hardened hearts. They are darkened in their understanding and they're alienated from God. Meaning if your heart has been so hard from the Lord, there's, there's nothing that can do to make you feel that you are with somebody. And it feels like God is not with you. It feels like you're alienated from society or from people. And you're very darkened in your understanding, meaning very twisted thoughts, maybe wrong mindsets, things that are misaligned, all that sort, right? And then in Matthew chapter 13, it says, uh, for people of hardened hearts, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. But uh, for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes, they have closed. This is what happens with the hardened heart. No matter what God tells you, no matter what people try to tell you, nothing goes through because your heart is so hardened and grown cold because of the things of the past or even the things of the present. 
because something is blocking a relationship with God. Maybe some of you guys didn't even know this. Like, you're kind of, like, asking yourself, what exactly is it that I need to deal with? Why am I not growing? You know, Pastor Marcus preached last Tuesday. We've got to keep it moving in our relationship with God. That's how we grow. But how can I even keep moving when I have these things stunting my growth during my pathway with God, right? And so <clears throat> I think uh, one thing that I realized was when I came uh, to Korea, God immediately uh, brought up issues of uh, relational issues in my life. Areas where I knew that I wasn't really growing in the Lord. Uh, one of them had to do with my mom. And I realized that all my life, uh, and the reason why I couldn't even uh, be close to pastor's wives or any mother figure was because I had a problem with my own mom. Uh, another problem was my sister. I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. But basically, you know, just I had a lot of problems with my sister. And because of that, um, I, it was, there's always this little tension that I felt or annoyance that I felt with sometimes other sisters that I met in Christ, right? And so I realized that that was the issue with that. And immediately he uncovered these two things. And I realized the reason why I'm not bearing fruit in these areas was because of this problem. So I dealt with it right away. Uh, there's a form of ministry that we have here at Emmaus and at New Philly, the church that we're part of called Healing and Deliverance. A lot of you guys are familiar with that. And basically healing and deliverance, okay? They're two words. Healing is inner healing for you to be set free from any past hurts or traumas that you have dealt with. Deliverance is being delivered from the bondage and the addiction that you are struggling with, the habitual sins, whatever it is, you be delivered from these things. Believe it or not, God can deliver you from these very things. Do you believe that? That's what it is. And so even with these bitter roots, uh, I'm telling you right now that God can set you free. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this before, that God can set you free. From the very things that you have been bearing inside, you know, some of you, you're, you have secrets and you have past struggles that you've actually never told anyone before. Never, anyone. But the irony is that you're dying to tell somebody, but either you're afraid of judgment or you're afraid of uh, unbelief, that it might not even change. Whatever the case it is, seriously, whatever the case it is, I really believe that God is tugging at your heart today and calling you to just confess your sin, confess the struggle, whatever that, that person that group, that church, that father, that relative that has ever hurt you in your life, God wants you to let go of that bitterness. And he's going to deal with the root. He's going to gently pull it out. And he's going to set you free so that you can be fruitful again. I'm telling you this because I can tell you this, honestly, because of the results that happened in my life after really going through healing and deliverance from all the people that have hurt me in my life and from all the trauma that I had to go through in, you know, in my life. I know there's a lot of domestic violence and abuse that I went through in my own personal life. Pretty sure some of you guys can understand and relate with me. And I never thought I could ever get set free. And I thought I had to live with certain pasts and memories forever until somebody at the church came up to me and said, do you know that you actually don't have to deal with these things for the rest of your life anymore? What? Like, I, I, I wish I could tell you what I felt when someone came up to me and gave me hope into my dark and discouraging situation. There's a bitter root inside some of our past. You know, some of you guys have actually gotten healing and deliverance, and um, praise God for, for delivering you from those problems, struggles, addictions. But others of you, it's coming out. 
And if it comes out, and if you feel like you're being reminded of uh, past hurts and memories and pain, and you're asking yourself, why is this even happening to me? Why am I being reminded of these things? It's because God cares for you so much that he doesn't want you to deal with it anymore. And he's uncovering it because he wants to shed light into it, and he wants to get rid of it so that you can be fruitful for him. Okay? So the first one is, what is the first one? Yes, second one. Second way that we can bear fruit in the Lord. Now, this is a hefty section. So I really want you guys to listen. This is something that's burning deep in my heart, that you guys get the bare essentials of a relationship with the Lord, okay? When I'm praying on my knees for this campus, this is the biggest thing. It's not some crazy revelation that you can get at a conference or God coming down from whatever, sending an angel. No, it's like the bare essentials that I actually care about for the students here, okay? And so verse 4, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So how do we remain in the Lord? By cultivating our essentials. Number two is lay down a basic foundation by cultivating the essentials. Okay? Cultivate. The word cultivate means to promote or improve the growth of a plant or crop in this case by labor and attention. Okay, little science elementary lesson. What three things do we need for a plant to grow? Okay, good, I got that. Yeah, yeah. sun, soil, and water, right? Sun, soil, and water. Uh, If you don't even have one, you can't really grow, right? You can't grow as much. You will soon realize that it dies as time passes. I'm not a science major, but everyone knows that. So sun, soil, and water. If you don't have these things, there's no way that you can expect growth. Three things in a Christian life, basic things that I want you to get uh, today is in order to grow in your walk with the Lord, you need the Bible, you need prayer, and you need extravagant worship. Okay, I'm going to say it again. You need the Bible. You need the word of God. You need prayer, meaning you need to know how to pray. And you need extravagant worship, meaning you don't just praise and worship in your own accord, but you praise and worship extravagantly. I'm going to do my best to keep these succinct, okay? Are you guys with me? So the Bible, the word is actually what anchors us whenever hard times come. Amen. And so even as mindsets like, you know, go back and forth and the enemy is trying to lie or whatever, the word of God is actually what anchors us. It sets the tone for our day. Meaning if you feel groggy and you feel like you're overslept, you can turn to any passage in the word and find that you will be changed and encountered by his word because the word of God is living and it is active. That is the only text in the world. You can, you can argue with me if you want, but the only text that literally it could jump out of you and it could com- convict you deeply and it could change you. How many of you guys had that moment where you opened the word, you felt really down and you felt kind of like whatever, right? Johnny's raising his hand in the back, but you just felt very down and you read a passage in the Bible and actually you immediately felt better. Anyone? Okay, good, good. I thought I was like the only one. I was like, no, please let there be more people. Um, okay. And I, and I realized one thing I actually realized during my campus days. And even when I was, um, uh, just meditating and just praying about, uh, KU was that, um, no matter how much people can tell you to read the word, uh, you won't read the word if you don't know how to read the word. Right. And so I can go to all of y'all and just be like, Hey, just read the Bible and then you'll be fine. But okay, thanks. But how do I even read that in the first place? And Again, I know this is like Bible Christianity 101, 
And I don't care if you've heard it a million times at your Sunday school, but if you are not reading the Bible, then I suggest you hear it like it is your first time again, okay? And really take it seriously. Um, there's no method to really read the word. I actually did some kind of uh, did some research in this, but a lot of the research suggests that you start with the four Gospels in the New Testament. Who knows what the four Gospels are? Awesome. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Okay. Uh, one of the, um, he's a, uh, InterVarsity's link director, Bob Graham, he said uh, in one site source that I found that to start at the Gospel of Mark and then you go to John. And in quote, he said, the book of Mark is quick and fast paced while John focuses on the things Jesus claimed about himself. So Mark tells us about what Jesus did while John tells us about what Jesus said. And in John, some of the simplest and clearest passages, but also some of the deepest and most profound passages are found there. Okay, so the four Gospels, they're actually very similar, same perspective, but written by different authors. John is a little bit more different, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more of the same, right? Once you hit the four Gospels, uh, I want to encourage you to read the Old, Tes uh, Old Testament history. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all of that. Try reading the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. I love Genesis. I love Exodus. Um, just the beginning. And try to read Psalm the book of Psalm, which is in the middle of the Bible, simultaneously with that. Um, Psalm is actually a collection of, like, books, hymns, poems that focus the worshiper's thoughts on God and in praise and adoration. And so uh, I'm giving you a place to start, like where exactly to start. But you can actually just search online, and I've done this, how to read the Bible for a beginner, how to read the Bible the easiest way, the easiest Bible reading plan. You can Google any of these things. Just pick a plan and just start reading it. That's all you have to do. There's no method. It's not that complicated. That's how you read the word. Are you guys following me? And um, as you read the word, I want to encourage you to actually have a quiet time. Uh, it's called quiet time when you read the word, but a journal. And um, really write out what stands out to you and what revelations stand out to you as well. Now, I'm telling you this, and I'm not stupid. I understand that a lot of us are Christian, or we bo we're born in a Christian family, and we grew up like this all our lives. But if you find yourself not bearing fruit in your quiet times and in your, in your, in your prayer times and in your times of reading the word, then why not start again today and make a commitment and decision to really bear fruit in that area? The second uh, essential was prayer. And First Chronicles 16.11, it says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Guys, if you know what prayer really was, I honestly believe that you would pray more. Okay? It's not that complicated. It's just a conversation with the Lord. Okay? You're just talking to God. That's all you're doing. You're just talking to God. It's your direct line of communication. Think of it as a phone call. You're calling your dad, your mom. That's your direct communication. That's how you really pray. Now, what exactly are you praying about? What should our prayers even consist of? Uh, I want to put more structure into this and encourage that. One of the first things that uh, I think we should pray about is forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness, it says in Acts 3.19, Now turn from your sins and turn to God so you can be cleansed of your sins. Is there anyone that I need to forgive today? Uh, I know for sure. I have something that I like to call uh, commute rage. I don't have road rage when I drive in America, but I have commute rage. Meaning if an ajashi or an ajima or a grandma, I don't care how old you are, what you look like, if you push me and you don't say sorry, and it was like a mean push, I like need to remember that I'm saved and that I am a Christian. Uh, I think my roommate Tina knows 
I, I just, I don't even know where it came from. I didn't even grow up in a city. And maybe that's why, because I was, I grew up in a country where everything is super slow. So I'm not used to people breathing up on me and then just even like, you know, put, put my elbow here and there, whatever, like nudge at me. So I like get really angry. I've had to forgive people actually by doing that. I used to get so angry, so angry during my commutes. Oh, I'm confessing that my commute to KU is really long too. Um, and so uh, forgiveness, if you need to forgive anyone, it could actually be a friend. It could be a family member, someone that you're really upset at that day. It could be someone that was a long time coming. Whatever it is, I want you to really ask yourself when you're praying, do I need to forgive anybody? Or do I need to receive forgiveness from someone? Meaning, do I need to repent for something that I did? Forgiveness, that's number one. Number two, needs. Everyone say needs. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We need to be able to communicate our needs in prayer. Key word, communicate. If you don't say it in your prayer, yes, God knows our thoughts, but if you don't communicate it in prayer, how will you ever see it come to pass? We need to communicate our needs in prayer. And when you pray for it, I want to encourage you to pray for it in faith. Do I need money? Do I need to, do I need financial stability? Well, I'm going to pray for that. Do I need breakthrough in my family? Like what David led us in prayer earlier? then I'm going to pray for that. Do I need to get straight A's in my class because I'm going to fail and my exchange student program depends on it or something? Then I'm going to pray for that. Those are our needs. The third thing, thanksgiving. And I actually encourage you to pray for this first. Very, very, as soon as you get on your knees and you pray to God, we should honestly give him thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Is this the truth that is resonating in our hearts when we pray to God? We need to just give him thanks for no reason at all. Even if you have the worst day in your life, you should still give God thanks because he is so worthy of it. God, thank you for this horrible day because I'm going to learn so many lessons and I'm going to reap a lot from it. God, thank you so much for that hardship because I actually learned a lot from that. God, thank you for this mundane day. Nothing really happened. God, thank you for uh, actually giving me another day to live because some people actually die. The fourth thing, intercession. Intercession is a prayer to God on behalf of one another. Okay? We pray for others and the things on God's heart. And we should really learn to stand in the gap. Okay, this term, stand in the gap, means we're standing on behalf of somebody and their prayer requests and needs. We should really learn to not only pray for ourselves and not be so inner-focused, self-focused, but to learn to really die to ourselves and pray for other people. You know why sometimes I push for a, I mean, if you've been in uh, Emmaus for all of March, you should probably know this. But you know why I push for 615 prayer? I'm going to go there. But you know why I push for 615 prayer? And why I push for prayer team? It's not because I want David to be surrounded by girls and guys and to pray together like that. It's not because I care so much that you guys don't get to eat when you finish class at 6 and then you have 15 minutes to eat and you come out to pray. No, that's not the reason why. I'm encouraging you to come out to pray because we're praying on the things that are dear for God's heart, that are dear to God's heart, that are dear to our hearts and our friends' hearts and our staff members' hearts. You know, when I led 615 prayer and I was on the prayer team three years ago uh, in Yonsei University at the time, 
I can't even begin to tell you how many testimonies that we had. It was like 40 students, believe it or not, more than the large group that we hear today. The 615 prayer meeting itself was 40 students. Okay? I'm yelling here. I'm sorry. I'm getting really excited. But it was 40 students, and we were crowded around and wherever we decided to meet for prayer. And we sat there listening to other students talk about their problems, saying, my dad has cancer. My mom is going through chemotherapy. I need a breakthrough in this area. I'm like, okay, you need that? We all gathered around and prayed. And I kid you not, every single week, we saw testimonies of people getting healed and being like, man, you know, like the mom, like my mom that you prayed for, she's actually doing a lot better. One of the, one of uh, the students' dads, I remember, was severely sick. He got completely healed and transformed. That's the reason why I'm telling us to go to 615 prayer, okay? You will not know the things that are going on on this campus or at Emmaus at KU or in your friends' lives, those who are in your familias, those who, the staff you say hi to every week. You have no idea if you don't know what's dear to their hearts. You, if, if you want to break through in your parents' lives, pray for someone else's parents' lives, okay? You know what I do when I'm, when I'm, uh, I'm not, okay, like, we have a prayer meeting. I mean, we have a prayer meeting before a Sunday service called Sunday Swim. And uh, we did this thing in March where we uh, had people go up in our community who wanted to share a praise report or who wanted to uh, ask for prayer. And every time there are people that went up for prayer, my heart broke for those people. Like, like church members who had a sister that was probably like my age that was diagnosed with breast cancer. That was uh, a lot of cancer and a lot of tumors these days with people's families that are going on. It broke my heart. I had to write it down on my phone. I had to pray for it. How can you not pray for that when you hear that? Can you imagine if you went up there and you talked about your mom and dad and nobody sat down praying with you? I'm not trying to guilt trip you guys. I'm trying to grow a heart for you guys to just, I'm trying to have you guys grow a heart for intercession and to pray for other people. Expand your heart. Don't just make it about you but also realize that there's so many other people, there's so many other things that we could be praying for. And for that reason alone, there's all the more reason to grow in our prayer lives and be fruitful in it. Amen? Uh, the next thing is, uh, okay, so how should we pray? Stay with me here. How should we pray? Prayer is something that's very dear to my heart, and I hope that it is dear to yours because it changes everything, okay? How should we pray? We should pray in faith. Write that down. In faith. If you do not even believe in what you are praying for, you need to ask God to help you in your unbelief. One of my favorite verses is Mark eleven twenty four. 24. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whenever we pray, we need to believe that it actually happens. Okay? We need to believe that it actually happens. That prayer actually transforms things. Do you even know who you're praying to? If you even knew the God that you're praying to, you would pray more. And if you even knew the God that you're praying to, you would pray for bigger things. You wouldn't pray for the small things, but you would give him your biggest dreams. You would give him your biggest requests. And you would believe that he could do it. And he could move in the possible of your situations. Okay? So pray in faith. If you don't have faith and you don't believe and you struggle with unbelief, then you just pray, God, simple prayer, God, help me in my unbelief. That's it. The, the second thing, we should pray offensively, okay? I know this is offensive, me saying we should pray offensively, but we just need to pray with boldness and not to sit around and be passive. One thing we do need to realize is that God is real, but the devil is also real. And the devil's one mandate is to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has established in our lives. 
So if you're watching your family finances or whatever crumble before you, the chances are that the devil is trying to steal it away and do something about it. We can't sit there and be passive, but we have to be on the offense. Realize that prayer is not just a conversation, but it is a response. So what do you do? When you feel heavy, you pray. You respond in prayer. If you feel like you're going through something, your friend is going through something, you don't just sit there. You pray, and you're on the offense. You're not in the defensive and, like, trying to hide and shield yourself from the enemy. No. We have to realize that we have so much power and authority over our prayers. Matthew 18, 18, one of the most boss Bible verses, I think. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I bind this infirmity in Jesus' name. I bind this sickness up. Then, then I, I, I believe it because it's bound in heaven. Whatever you release, I release joy into this person. You believe it because it's released in heaven. You need to know that you have so much weight and authority over your words. If you only knew how powerful you were and how much authority you have, you would pray more. We should pray expectantly. I think one thing is that when, when I go into prayer, I expect God to move and to change. We're not just following after some kind of mandate or method to pray, but we expect God to move and to change in our situations and in our lives. Okay? So we need to remain open and expectant for what God can do and allow him to move through the impossible situations. We should pray persistently, meaning we don't give up. You don't pray for one topic and you just give up. Do you do that? I do that sometimes, especially when I'm really discouraged, especially when it comes to sickness or when it comes to, um, like, heaviness or weird funk that I feel. But you should never give up. You should always persist. Never give up. There's a parable in Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow. She went every day to the judge, every single day to the judge in this passage to grant her justice. And the judge was so annoyed, and he wanted her to stop bothering him that he was like, okay, fine, I'll grant it. You just, you pray and you don't give up. I think there are a lot of uh, requests that we have in our lives, especially a lot of prayer requests that we give to God. And we, we tend to give up because we don't see any fruit, especially in the natural. There, there, there have been years of things that I've been praying for that I'm still waiting to see breakthrough in. There have been people that I've been praying for that I, I, I can't wait to see breakthrough in. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that a lot of you guys also have this as well. Guys, I prayed seven, eight years for my dad to come back to the Lord. He was a strong believer, taught Bible study at the church, and, like, he was so on fire. Man, I remember he was so on fire, and one day he just plummeted just like that. It was one of the worst things to see, to see my dad really plummet in his spiritual life. I prayed for, like, seven, eight years. And I kid you not, I think it was, like, last year or, like, maybe two years ago, like, I received a text message from my dad saying, um, he was like, uh, I'm sorry, Eunice, for being such a bad dad all those, like, years and for doing so, like, you know, doing wrong in this area, but I really decided to come back to the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Like, I, I, I was, I remember I was in the middle of Hagwon teaching, and I just started bawling because I could not believe it. Like, something that I've been praying for for years has finally come to pass. Physical healing. I had an eye disease, um, like, where I couldn't put my contacts in. And uh, every time I put them in for, like, more than three hours, it would go red. I even had it here. So if you look at my earlier pictures, which I'm going to – I really want to untag. I'm just wearing, like, time machine glasses because I have really bad eyesight. I'm wearing, like, glasses, and 
really frustrated because I never had this problem before. I'm praying day in and day out. I'm actually really angry because it, I, I feel like it's taking a, a, a toll on my identity of how, you know, how I think I look. And I just felt like Steve Urkel. And like, I just felt really, really, um, if you guys know who that is, Family Matters, American TV show. I just felt, I felt like a dork and it was really getting to me. And I prayed day in and day out. And finally, like one day, it was just like some crazy, I, I can't even, someone says something on the pulpit. And it was like, the truth, something about your pain, your physical pain may feel real, but it's not the truth. And as soon as I heard that, my, I, my eyes after five years were completely healed. Isn't that crazy? Like I didn't give up. I wanted to give up and I was so angry like some of the years, but I didn't give up. And I'm not here to just tell about my life, but I'm trying to give you hope and let you realize that whatever physical illness or whatever problems or breakthroughs that you need, that you should not give up. But always believe that as long as you're sowing and sowing and sowing, you're going to reap breakthroughs and answers from God. I think uh, the last thing I want to cover with prayer is why do we pray out loud, right? I'm pretty sure that is the question of the hour. Sometimes when you go to Emmaus Camps Ministry, you go to New Philly, the church that we're a part of. Um, I know when I first came to New Philly about six years ago, I was like so distracted. I could barely pray for the topics because people are yap yapping in my ear, praying about this, praying about that. How am I to even pray about what I'm, I, how, am I, how can I even pray about what I want to pray about? I, all I can hear, and I ended up copying people because I couldn't even concentrate. And I ended up just like, yeah, I ended up just copying people in their prayers. And I realized, like, one thing, this is my take on it. It's very simple. Prayer is a conversation, okay? So you talk. You don't just meet up with a friend at a cafe and coffee bean and then just uh, read each other's minds or something, right? Uh, you're just talking. And because you're talking to the Lord, that's why some people pray out loud. A lot of people pray out loud. One source says, we hear ourselves say it, which increases the resolve in our own minds and helps us determine to stick with it. When you say something out loud, you're more determined to stick with it. When you, when you actually feel passionate and fiery for something, a certain topic, you can't help but to just speak it out loud, okay? Not in a library voice, but to just speak it out loud fervently and passionately. You can do your own research, and it's okay. I'm not condemning you for praying silently. It's really okay to pray silently, honestly. But I'm just letting you know a perspective of why we even pray out loud, okay? I'm pretty sure some people are wondering this. And, um, yeah, but I, I really believe that our church in this campus, we pray out loud because we have a lot of fervency and passion uh, for the things that we're actually praying for. Third thing is extravagant praise. This is the number one core value that our church, New Philadelphia, actually um, holds. It's extravagant praise. Worship, okay? How should we worship? We worship extravagantly. Matthew 26 talks about the woman with the alabaster jar, okay? If you are not familiar with the passage, it's basically a story of a woman that comes to Jesus, pours the most expensive perfume at his feet, and wastes it all away. Everyone says it's a waste. She does not think it is a waste because it's Jesus, and she gives it all to him extravagant worship. When we come to church, when we come to Mace on Tuesday nights, when we come uh, to church service on Sundays, we worship to the Lord for those 20 minutes in the beginning of service. We're not just praising in our library voices. No, we need to give him all of our praise. And the simple answer for that is because he is worthy of it. The Bible says that he commands praise from his people. The Bible passages, some stories, if you look up in the New Testament, crowds are shouting aloud because the, the, because the Lord is coming. 
Okay, when you come to church, you're coming to meet the Lord. What do you do? You shout aloud and you give him that praise and that honor and that greeting. That's why we praise and we praise him with all of our hearts. You don't just give him 10% of your attention or 5% of your devotion or all that. No, God really wants our full attention and devotion every time when we praise. When we give him our extravagant praise, it says in Psalm 22 that he actually inhabits the worship of his people. Inhabiting meaning he dwells in it. He lives in it, in the worship. And we give, when we give him all the extravagant praise, he loves it simply because of that. So the next time when you praise at church, the next time when um, Johnny leads you in prayer, please don't leave Johnny alone in, pr- in praise, okay? That is, I'm not even trying to uh, force anything. I'm trying to give you a reason and an inspiration of why you even should worship in the first place. Don't just look at these lyrics on the screen and repeat after Johnny. That's not why we're here for 20 minutes in the beginning of service. We have lyrics up on the screen because we're talking about the truth of God. We're singing about the truth of God. We're declaring about the truth of God. How many of you actually believe in what you were even singing? It's just like prayer. Do you even know what you're even praying about? Do you even know what you are singing and who you are singing to? If you knew who you were singing to, you would sing with all of your heart. If Jesus was showing up right here on that podium, wouldn't we change the way that we sing and the volume of how we sing it? Why do we even need a visual? When we know that he is here, he's been here in this place. Every time we come to Tuesday Large Group, he is here in this place. That is why I'm exhorting you to sing with all of your heart. When you sing these words, try to put some genuineness into it. Meaning, this is what I do too. I'm guilty of it too. I go autopilot and I just kind of zone out because I'm familiar with the song and I'm more familiar with the beat and the melody than the actual words on the screen. But try to put meaning behind it. And I guarantee when you put meaning behind your words, then things will change. And you'll realize that you're singing passionately and genuinely because like, you're actually sincere about what you're singing. The third, the third way to bear a relationship in the Lord, and I want you to turn to your neighbor and say this. Allow him to prune you so that you can bear even more fruit. Turn to your neighbor. Can I have everyone get up and just stretch, please? I know we're tired. Thank you for staying attentive this far, but everyone just stretch. I don't see any of the back row um, standing up. Can you guys just... Just do it. I'm I'm telling you, it's going to really help you. If you are struggling right now to stay awake, okay, you guys can have a seat. The third way to bear fruit in the relationship with the Lord, stay with me here, and it's almost, I'm almost finished, I'm landing the sermon, is to allow him to prune you so that you can bear even more fruit. Verse 2 says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. When you prune a tree, a plant, a crop, or whatever, you get rid of and you clear out the undesired branches and twigs and roots. That's what the pruning process means. So basically, the process of being pruned is the same thing as process of being matured. So if you've already been growing in the Lord and you realize that there's a, there's a stunt to your growth, why am I feeling uncomfortable about certain things? Why is God trying to like make me do this or taking me there? Why am I feeling weird? The chances are you're getting pruned in your relationship with him because he wants you to bear more fruit. 
Pruning helps you let go of bad habits and character flaws. It actually helps. When you prune a tree, you're pruning it so that you want it to go in the direction that it should actually grow. When God prunes us, he's pruning us because he wants us to go in the right direction, not in the wrong one. When you prune anything, you're removing dangerous things and limbs and branches off of it. Not only are you being pruned and it benefits you, but it's going to benefit everyone around you. Meaning if he wants to prune your language and the words that you say, he's going to benefit not only you, but who you're talking to. Okay? If you have lifestyle habits that are not only detrimental to you and he wants to prune it, it's not only going to benefit you, but those people around you. So if you feel like God is pruning you, then pay close attention to the process. Because pruning helps you focus and zone in on the very things that God wants you to focus on. Meaning you need to cut back on certain things in your life. So what exactly is God calling you to cut back on in your life? What is he tugging at your heart for you to just let go and completely get rid of? What ideas, mindsets, addictions, life habits is he calling you to be pruning? Uh, he's calling you to just get it out of you, completely get out of you, out of your system so that you could bear even more fruits. He prunes us because he does it all out of love for us. And that is the main essence of the pruning process. If you believe that God is actually pruning you, he's getting rid of certain things in your life, you need to believe that it is for your own good and he's doing it so that you'll go deeper in your relationship with him. He is producing value and worth to who you are. And he is pruning you from the very things that are hindering you from your relationship with the Lord. Meaning he is preventing you to, uh, from becoming someone that you're actually not. And he's pruning you and preventing you from doing things and from going certain directions where you're actually not supposed to go. That's why you're being pruned in the process. I'm trying to put words to the feelings that you have been feeling these days. I'm trying to put articulation into the, the season that you have been in. If you feel like you're being pruned, we're not supposed to just sit there and wallow in it and be like, God, why are you doing this to me? But we need to be strong, take heart while we're in this process of waiting and believe that God is going to renew our strength during this pruning process. Amen? So that's my message for you today. I know some of you guys, it's been a struggle. I can tell you're just coming out of class and you, I don't know, some of you guys might have like just really tuned out. I actually really want to encourage you to go back and listen to this message then. Because what, what I feel like God is doing at this hour is laying down foundations in our lives. I feel like a lot of the, the foundations in our hearts can be shaky It could be shaken by whatever, whatever your, your neighbor says, whatever lifestyle you're living in, or whatever past trauma or things that you've been going through. But there, there has been a lot of shaking in the past month, whether you feel it or not. Some of you guys might have been going through it. Some of you guys might have a peachy month. That's great. But I really believe that at this hour, God is really calling us to lay down foundations and to really stop ignoring and avoiding the essentials that we need to bear fruit and a fruitful relationship in our walk with him.